Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. We'll take your Bible and let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to continue in our study here of the Sermon on the Plain, and uh, that's not the U.S. airplane uh, that uh, might have been grounded this last week. Wasn't it amazing? God has one little volcano and half the world stops. Just uh, incredible. It's a reminder how small we really are. God sends a little plume of smoke and it paralyzes everything. Well, we're not so hotsy-totsy, are we, as we think we might. Well, I've entitled today's message, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Let's read the text first, shall we? In chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. Jesus is speaking, speaking to his disciples, and he says, verse 27, But I tell you who hear me, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But... Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father, that is your Father in heaven, is merciful. I've entitled today's message, Mission Impossible. I, I'll never forget being a kid, and they, they were announcing a brand new TV series was coming out called Mission Impossible. It had a re- real catchy uh, opening song. If I thought about it, we'd have it and we'd play it right now, the Mission Impossible theme. And uh, some of you uh, who are younger more recently and, and older as well know that there's been a several movies out, the MI series, MI1, what Mission Impossible one, two, and I think they've had three out now, right? And uh, they were always uh, a thrill uh, for me as a boy to watch that. The storyline always presented a top-secret mission that absolutely and totally seemed beyond the realm of possibility. This will never happen. Never, he'll never get it done. How will they do this in some rather amazing ways and disguises and some, some uh, high-tech and even more high-tech in the movies, gadgets and gizmos to, to get the mission accomplished. Wow. 
Each of the episodes, who can ever forget that, would always begin with the well-known words, if you decide to accept this mission, right? And then in a few seconds, the whole gizmo would just disintegrate. Man, it captured the imagination of a young boy, and even as an older man, as I watched the movie sequence uh, that's come out in recent years. If you decide to accept this mission, I always like that. We will, we will not say anything in so many words that we even knew you. You know, you're on your own. You're cut off if you decide. Well, Jesus, continuing in, this, in his sermon here on the plane, he tells us of another, uh, can I say, impossible mission. But he doesn't make it optional. I never find in the verse stuck there, if you decide to do this. You notice that? Even that some of you may have a different translation. Anybody have that in their Bible? If you decide to accept this mission, no, it's not there. It's not optional for us as his followers, as Christians, and rather it is a it is a command. You are and I are commanded to love our enemies. And it's a present imperative. And the idea is that we are to do it, and we're never to stop doing it. That's the idea in the Greek language. Do it and never stop. It's like, well, I did that already, cross that one off. No, do it and keep on doing it, never let up. Never. That's a long time. How about 490? You know, that's 70 times 7. Some of you are good at math. That's 491. I can blast them now, right? 491. I've been waiting for this. No, without end. And it's not optional. It's mission impossible. Some call it the hard or the hardest command in Scripture. One has said, that's Phil Riken, Dr. Riken. Incidentally, Pray for Faith and I will have the opportunity on, on, on Friday and Saturday to midday on Saturday to go to the 10th Press in Philly to uh, take in the Philadelphia Reform Conference. D.A. Carson, R.C. Sproul, Sinclair Ferguson, Dr. Riken, on uh, a Christian perspective of history. And we'll be driving down there and looking forward to, uh, to that conference. But anyway, Dr. Riken, the pastor of 10th Press, he's written this about uh, this. He's about this passage. He says, we find it Hard enough at times to love our friends very well, don't we? How can we ever love our enemies? I mean, we're not, we don't love our friends like we should. Come here, let's hug. We don't, right? Sometimes we get a downright annoyed. And family, right? Who would ever put this bunch together, right? You say, well, man, if I, we weren't family, I wouldn't even be friends with you. You know, we find it hard enough sometimes to love our family well, let alone our enemies. That's the command. And I call it mission impossible that is on our own. We can't do it on our own. We impossible. Impossible. Our natural response to those who hurt us and or hurt our loved ones and or abuse them is to what? Is to hate them back or to wish them dead, or bad stuff happened to them, right? You know, you get bopped in the nose, it's only natural, I'll bop you and raise you, right? 
Sort of the way we're wired in our sinful bent. You mean love my enemy? How about if they poke their finger in your child's eye? How about your granddaughter's eye? Lord, help me. Really? I said that to my son-in-law. You know, I said, you have, uh, Greg, I said, you have two beautiful granddaughters. Look at them. They look like their grandma, you know, and uh, especially the younger one who has her name. I said, can you imagine now, can you imagine, Greg, somebody messing them up, somebody abusing them? It would take all of the grace of God from uh, keeping you from getting a shotgun and going after them. I mean, I mean, I could see it well up. He had never thought about that. I mean, it's only the grace of God in us that would cause us to respond like Jesus. It's only natural because we're sinners to want to beat the daylights out of someone who would, who would do that, right? That's, that's in us. Don't look holy. It, it is. It's in me. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. But, you know, the Lord calls us to something here much higher. And I can't do it on my own. It's mission impossible for me. But it's a command. And the Lord never commands us to do something that he doesn't give us the power and the ability to do it. Aren't you glad for that? I don't, Terry doesn't have to muster up. And the Lord said, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll empower. I'll give you the ability. You can't do it on your own. I'm going to magnify myself through you to them and to others as to how you respond from those who disabuse you and or your loved ones. That's what he's saying in this, this sermon. You see, one way people will, will come to know uh, the love of God is by seeing it in your life and mine. That's how God's Word and how the Gospel spreads. You know, the eye is a far better learner than the ear. You can hear all kinds of things, and we learn that way. But if I see it lived out, oh, it teaches me so much better. Imitation and seeing that lived out. And uh, by people seeing the love of God displayed in our lives as we love people that no one else would love, God draws some people to himself and saves them. He does. This is what happened with well, I think with Paul, Saul of Tarsus, you know, the enemy of the church, he, he abused the early Christians, he beat them up, he locked them up, he killed them, and there he is standing, holding the coats while they're stoning Stephen, one of the deacons in the first church, who gave a, a glorious testimony before they stoned him and killed him. And here's Stephen dying, and he says, uh, he imitates the Lord on the cross. Father, forgive them. He asks the Lord that, they, they, that he would forgive them for what they were doing. And here's Saul watching that. The apostle become the apostle Paul. Don't you think that was a powerful, apologetic uh, in reaching him for the gospel? It was a powerful witness. He stood there and saw that, and he thought, that's not natural. What is natural? Be cursing those that be throwing the stone, swinging at them, spitting at them, all that kind of thing. Not to lay there and he had a glow about himself and, and, and prayed for them as he died. That's not natural. But neither is the Christian life natural, is it? 
It's the new disposition. It's the new nature. It's, it's via the Spirit of God that God calls us to be a Christian. You know what a Christian means? Little Christ. We can't do it on our own. We're failures. F is our grade on our own. But the Spirit of God and the power of God in you and in me can do it. And God calls us to this. It's, a man, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing. You may not be able to control your feelings about certain people. And our feelings always follow our thoughts and our actions. Always. But that, nonetheless, we are to do the right thing here and to love those that despise us, our enemies. You say, well, I don't feel like it. So what? I never see that as the, as the measurement. You know, even in marriages, you know, I don't feel like loving my wife anymore. Oh, really? When is that the determination? Your feeling. Your feeling is not. Do the right thing. Do it. Do it before the Lord. Deal with the gunk that's there. And the feelings will follow. Well, there are four observations we want to make helping us to practice this, the impossible mission of loving our enemies. And again, there's a solution only by the power and the presence living close to Christ in our lives are we able to do. It's a radical thing. It's radical. It is truly radical. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it, uh, you do this and you will stand out. And that's what God wants, is lights amid great darkness. Well, four observations helping us to practice. First one we find in verses 27 and 8, Jesus calls us as his disciples to love our enemies. Again, let's read the text and notice the, uh, what he says in 27 and 8. But I tell you who hear me. Again, he's talking to his disciples on the plain. This is not the Sermon on the Mount. A command, present tense, love your enemies. Another command, do good to those who hate you. Another command, bless those who curse you. Another command, the fourth and last, pray for those who mistreat you. Well, he begins, first of all, in verse 27, with uh, a general command. We're required to love uh, our enemies. Now, the word here is, is the Greek word agape. If you've been saved very long and you, you've started to know your Bible, that's a word that you know. You've heard it, agape love. Sometimes you'll hear agape ministries and agape. So it's a word that's translated, transliterated into English, and we hear it from time to time. There are various words in the, in the Greek that are used for love. You know, it's far better than English, right? I wish we had a few more words that would describe it because uh, uh, we hear it all the time, love, especially Madison Avenue. You know, people love their puppies, and they love yogurt, and they love going to the beach, and oh yes, they love babies, and they love this, and they love their country, and all that. And I mean, and they, the word is so big, and it's stretched in so many dimensions, uh, what's it mean? Almost uh, nothing, maybe. You've got to qualify it. Well, in the Greek, there were different words that were used for love that provided qualification. Did you know if you lived in Alaska, uh, even more than Buffalo, Alaska, in the original languages, the Indian languages up there, have many, many words for snow. 
I think how practical that is. You know, is it, uh, is it the big puffy flakes or is it really coming down? And I've read and remember there's 20-some words for snow. Well, if your life was filled with snow all the time, perhaps you'd want words that would better describe it. And rightfully so. The Indians up there use it that way. Well, in the Greek, uh, which is the original writing of the New Testament, there are various words uh, in the Greek language, some are in our Bible, some are not, that are used to help us understand what is this word love. We're to love our enemy. Maybe there's a way out. If we know the original word and we can kind of slip out and, and take the pressure off, wouldn't that be great? Well, let's look at it. The word is agape. Let's say what it isn't. First of all, there's a, it's not the word storage. That was a word uh, that's, that's used in the word uh, for love. It's simply natural affection. Um, and, and that word, that's not the word agape. Uh, this is unnatural, right? It's unnatural to love an abuser. That's not natural, so it, it's not that word, storage. It's not the word eros. That never occurs in the Bible, but it's the romantic love, erotica, sexual love, intimate love, physical love. Sometimes uh, you'll hear the Song of Songs described as uh, an erotica type of a relationship between a husband and wife, and the beauty of that begins with kisses in the beginning. And that It's not that. Don't go and kiss your enemy. That's not what he's talking about. Thank you, Lord, for that. It's also not the word philia or, or, or phileo, Philadelphia, the love of brothers. They're in Philly. They're always hugging and kissing in Philadelphia. They're just brothers. It's a reciprocal relational love. You know, it's a love of friendship. There's a give and there's a take and there's a looking out for it, the reciprocation. It's not that because an enemy, it's, it's usually one way, Right? It's not like, oh, it's not tit for tat there. Oh, thank you for doing that. I'll bake you some brownies. Nuh-uh. No, it's not relational. It's not phileo, love either. It's the word agape, number two. It's, it is a choice. It's a choice. That's the key thought. It, it, not your feelings. Don't let your feelings be your guide. That's terrible advice. Never biblical in a day that emotes. Have you noticed the conversation people make today? They don't think anymore. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you want? Well, I'm feeling like a cheeseburger today. What do you, I'm feeling like doing this. I'm feeling like I'm feeling. It's the cycle babble moved its way into the main street. You know, <laughs> my father would laugh in his day. He didn't even know what you're talking about. How about thinking? I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that, right? Let's be, be clearer in the way we talk. Here, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. With my mind, I'm making a decision. I'm choosing to love the unworthy. They're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of it. But I'm choosing to love them. This is a general command here. Choosing to be the loving person to them and to do it continually, not just once. That's the idea of the command. Now let me say, along this line, we are to love our enemies. Do you know you have an enemy? You, you, not only Satan is he the great enemy, but you have enemies. I hate to tell you that. You know, you look good, smell good today, right? Most of you. And uh, you say, like, I have enemies? Yes. You know, there are some people that just, you know, uh, wish you weren't here. 
They envy you. They envy your abilities. They, uh, they, they envy your looks. They envy your, what are, your possessions. They envy, they envy what, all kinds of things. And, and they, 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 they envy your position in life. They envy your, your spouse. They envy you being single. They, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. And we say, well, they don't hate you. They don't come up and say, well, some do. I hate you. Some will say that. But most of the time, they're more polite. But they just wish you'd drop dead, you know? If you drop dead, I could have your position. I could have your husband. I could have your whatever, right? I got news for you. You have enemies. And even they say, not me. I'm very nice. Oh, really? You think you have no enemies because you're very nice. I always return a soft word. Do you know Jesus always was tender heart? Do you know he had enemies? Do you think you're more holy and righteous and gentle than the Lord Jesus? I don't think so. You have enemies. I have news for you. You do. Let me, let me outline it. Some of them are public and some of them are private. Public enemies, what? Like an ungodly politician. One who would want to, to, to me, ungodly... An enemy would be one who would be push for the abortion and the slaughter of those little unborn babies. To me, and that's an enemy. That's an enemy of the state to me. And I pray almost every day that God would finally turn that around. We un- would understand it's not a choice, it's a person. The choice is already made. Let's be responsible for that. And uh, in other ways, uh, politicians can, can promote the bad, you know. Did you know that? They can be, an, they can be a public enemy. Uh, how about a reckless driver, you know, who takes life? You know, you may not know about it, but uh, the carnage on the highway and, and the tears and the grief. I read about it every single week in the paper. Uh, you know, that, that's an enemy. Uh, maybe they were intoxicated. Maybe they didn't mean it. But still, their actions, an enemy, enemy. It touched our life very directly with someone I never knew, an illegal uh, 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 immigrant who, who drank, was intoxicated, and caused an ocean of tears in our family back in the year 2001 and forever changed us and, and killed uh, someone who I thought would be a son-in-law uh, instantly on the spot, a, son, a, a, a man, a young man of such promise, that man... To our family was an enemy. How would we respond to that? You have enemies. Uh, I say that to you, public ones. How about a terrorist, the 9-11, and others that cause such tears and destruction? That's an enemy. That's a public enemy. But what about private ones? We all have private ones. What about a demeaning boss who just never has a good thing to say but always is critical, 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 critical all the time. Why can't you do this? And why can't you do that? And, and has a way of saying, just kind of beat you down and acts like an abuser or an enemy. How about an angry neighbor? You say, well, I'm a good neighbor. I have State Farm, you know, or something, right? I've, we've had a neighbor. I won't tell your name, but I'll call her Mrs. M. She used to scare the willies out of us. I don't know what that means. But well, we used to say that, and as a family growing up, you know, poor thing had no teeth, you know, and, and she f- f- wear white T-shirts, forgot to wear underwear, and she out there with the meanest look. I thought she was the wicked witch of somewhere. 
Holy cow, we'd be hiding behind bushes looking at her, you know? As she'd be calling the police on us and this and that and the health department and what, what in the world? What? I've had that. Have you had that? I have had that. Enemies, personal enemies. We were forbidden to step on her property. Don't cross that line. And she'll call the juvenile police and you'll be down in the brink or something, you know. An angry neighbor. How about a scheming co-worker? Ever had one of those? They want your job. They smile to you, but they're undermining you. Ever have that? No, none of you ever, ever had that, right? Never. Yeah, right. Even a spouse can, I'm sorry to say, a spouse can, can be like an abuser, can be one causes, inflicts great pain. Uh, even a spouse can be like that. Well, who is your enemy? There's a question. Who's your enemy or enemies? He or she is the one that Jesus uh, in this passage is calling you and calling me to love with the power and the ability that he alone gives. Otherwise, it's mission impossible. Mission impossible. And it's like in this general command, love your enemies, he's going to now give specifics on how we can do that. I'm glad for that. It uh, reminds me, uh, and, and Riken talks about it and prompted my mind, so I thought I would look it up. It's uh, kind of like Elizabeth Barrett Browning's uh, How Do I Love Thee, Let Me Count the Ways. It really doesn't fit, but it's sort of like, uh, I think Riken's right, it's like this is what the Lord's doing. You say, listen, I'm telling you, love them and don't stop. And this is how I want you to do it. It's like he's counting one after the other. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and the height my soul can reach. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace, I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of, my, of all my life. And if God should choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. People know the title, but not usually the content of that beautiful sonnet. And that's sort of what Jesus does here. He says, well, I'm telling you to love. I'm commanding you to do it. I'll give you the power to do it. Now this is how you do it. All right, so specifically, look at B. How do we love? Specific? Do good to those who hate you. Do good to them. Do good. It's the idea of well. Do, do that which is beautiful. Do good to them. We must love them with our actions. Our actions. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. That's doing good. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. These are menial, small things, and anything above and beyond that is the idea. For, G for the proverb says, in doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So how do we love? Do good to those that hate you, despise you, use you, and abuse you. Do good to them. And then see specifically, how do I... Love thee, let me count the ways. Then he says, more than do good, bless those who curse you. 
28a. This moves now beyond action to our words. So we're not only trying to think, what can I do to be a blessing and do good to them, to my boss, to my neighbor, to my family member, to the sports team where the competition is so ugly that uh, somebody's wishing I'd break an arm so that they can take my spot. Do good to them. More than that, with my mouth now. Oh, our tongue, that slippery, slimy serpent that God has put caged behind your teeth and mine, right? There's a reason why it's caged in. Because our tongues can be so terrible, can't they? We can say things, and once we let those words go, have you ever noticed? You don't get them back. Oh, bring those back. I want to do a redo. Mm-mm. Nope. No, no doing And bless, bless those who curse you. It's our word. Now, the idea of blessing, and number one, is is to return gentle words of grace for those who curse us. Gentle words. It reminds us of a soft answer, turns away wrath. Not always, but we're to return a gentle word to those who would spitefully use us and not tell them what we think of them. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I got news for you. You and I, our minds are so small, we can't afford to give away a piece. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Bless them. Lord, help me. I just want to go for the juggler, so to speak, and just spit out poison. Now, we could do that. That's natural. There's nothing any different in us if we do that. Just kind of beat them up verbally. Just keep hammering away. Let the volume keep going up. Man. And we failed. We failed. Love your enemies and don't stop. Keep doing it. Do good to them. How else, Lord? Bless them with your tongue. The idea of cursing. Do not curse is the idea of damning them. Or if they damn us, or the idea of cursing them, or if they curse us is to harm us, to invoke harm. I wish you would drop dead. Those kind of words. You know, I once had a funeral for a dear lady. She was young, too. She was, uh, I think she was maybe 40, had a house full of kids, and uh, she had suffered pneumonia and had a terrible time. Love the Lord. And uh, there was tension in the home, and the husband was not real patient, at least at that point. And she said to her husband I, I, that evening, she said, I, I'm, I'm feeling so weak, I feel like I could die. And he said to her, well, go ahead and die. And you know she never woke up. Be careful. I mean, we're all capable of saying that, right? We all are. Let's admit it. And I don't know the, if there were a heated argument or if he was pressed or she was pressed and the give and take of a home with busy life and children and musical lessons and all the things that went on there. But for, a, for now to eternity, I know that that man wished in the bottom of his heart he could have those words back. 
Oh, my. In the sorrow and the sadness and the grief, oh, God. Why? Why? We're, we're, we're to bless people with our mouths, even if they curse us and say terrible things. And they do and will, and they'll write terrible things. I, I've been the blunt of that. I've been the blunt of that in ministry. I've had funerals where people will write scathing letters to me and, and just feel free to try and take me apart. Say I was simply manipulating the emotions of grief in people using it to, uh, for my own advantage when I simply presented the cross of Christ and people need to be saved. Or in ministry to have uh, enemies who would oppose and write terrible things and, and make them public. How, how do I respond? How do you respond? I responded gently and softly by, Lord, help me through tears to do that. Totally wrong. And uh, yet there's an evil one that loves to rip apart the body of Christ, loves to rip apart families. And Jesus, in the midst of all that, calls us, listen, you love them. Listen, you do good to them. Listen, you bless them. Even if they curse you, you can't do it. But I'm going to do it through you. And people are going to watch and they're going to say, I can't, that doesn't, that makes no sense to me. That's the idea here. And when people see that, guess what? There's a ripple effect go out, and it may be the last thing that will draw people to Christ the Lord. Wow, that, there has to be something to that gospel, because that is not natural. What is this? And people look at that and say, I don't have that. And that maybe that's the case, and maybe they need to get saved and become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and live by the power of God. The fourth and final, how do I love thee? D is specifically pray for those that abuse you, 28B. Pray for them. Those that treat you harshly and abuse you, pray for them. Now, I'm glad that when he says here, for those that abuse you, uh, he says, pray for them. And the idea here is you don't have to stay around that. I mean, protect yourself. Protect your loved ones. You don't have to stand there and just keep being abused. Don't do that. Uh, sometimes uh, in the years gone by, you know, uh, I think a Bill in a different state would get drunk, and the whole weekend was a drunken thing, and and then he'd knock uh, his dear wife Ethel around like a punching bag. And uh, we would, we'd go in there and, and get her and get the kids out of there and, and, uh, and, and work with that situation. I said, Ethel, first sign of trouble, get out of there. Jesus doesn't want you to stay here and be a punching bag. You're going to be dead. He pulled the shotgun out one time. Listen, if you're in an abusive situation, get out of there. God never calls you to stay in that thing. Get out of there. Preservation of life, particularly your own life. You know, get out of there until the coast is clear. Get good, good pastoral counsel, good help and counsel from others as to how do I respond in this situation. Now, the end of that story with Bill, and as the years unfolded, God wonderfully saved him. He did and delivered him. From, uh, his, uh, from his drink. Now, a lot of stories don't end that way. 
But in that, in that case, it, it did. And, but uh, once you get out from that abusive uh, immediate environment, what do we do? We pray. Pray for them, Jesus said. Pray for those that treat you harshly. Intercede for them by asking God to rescue them from their sin and forgive them. Father, forgive them. Remember Stephen? Remember the Lord Jesus? Pray for them. Prayer is the key. There's progression here. Love them. How? Do good. Bless. Now pray. Prayer is the key. You know, it's hard to hate someone you're praying for. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried that? Someone who's abused you, a bully, someone who's mistreated you at work or at school, I mean, and then you just put write down their name on your prayer sheet or in your prayer book, and you pray for them every single day. I'm telling you, it is hard to hate. I know. <laughs> God changes uh, our hearts. He changed my heart. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about them and their life and their perspective. Anyway, hate will burn you up from the inside out. I mean, humanly, you'll cut your life short. You will. You'll blow a circuit. It takes a lot of energy, emotional energy, to hate. I'm not going to let them off. I'm going to just keep hating them. You know, they're going to get theirs. You start praying for them. I don't care who it is. You write their name down and you pray, Lord, they need prayer. I need prayer. Lord, forgive them for their words, their action. They're abusive. Maybe it's a family member. And you pray for them. And you know what? God is going to change your heart. He will. He promises. Jesus is a command, incidentally, again. Pray. In his present tense, don't stop. Now, it's, prayer does more than just change you. It changes the circumstance. Riken also in his writing talked about when he was a teenager, he went down to the Burger King and got his first job. And there uh, at the Burger King behind the counter working in the food prep area, there was a very mean boss. Always shouting, yelling, abusive, and he was you know, like scared half the time. You know, <laughs> Think of a, uh, you know, your first work experience and and the guy's always yelling, never telling you what to do, but yelling because it wasn't done right. You know, one of those deals. And so he said, you know what? I took this to heart. I began to pray that the Lord would help me first because I don't want to wilt and die here. And I want to be Christ to those. And I began to pray. And I began to pray for my, my, uh, my boss. And bit by bit by bit by bit, he said, things began to change at the local Burger King. They did. My boss uh, started to respond more humanly. I began to look for ways to do good things for him. Do you need this done? Do you need that done? Can I help over here doing good things? He began, I began to bless him and, and talk about good things and gracious things and encouraging things. And uh, as I continued to pray, and I saw the whole environment over that period of time change. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You see, we're salt and light in a world that is filled with a lot of darkness. And prayer is the key. It's the key.
Well, quickly, and we'll move here now that we've laid the principle down, the second observation, 29 to 30. Jesus illustrates this extraordinary love for us in 29. Let's reread that again. Uh, If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Someone takes your cloak, that's your uh, your outer heavier coat, if you will, Give him your shirt is the idea. Give to anyone who would ask to borrow from you is the idea here. Well, what's he talking about? Uh, the Lord is illustrating. Well, this turn the other cheek, this, uh, this uh, love uh, we're required to show that endures repeated insults. Now, hear me now. To turn the other cheek, and we hear it in the culture, this for, does not mean physical abuse. Somebody comes up, so to speak, and punches you like this, and you go like, you almost floored me, but here's the other one. No, it's not that. It's not physical. It's not. All right? Think about it. In, in this day, it's public insulting. If you're, the world is pretty well right-handed. About 90% of people are right-handed. And to hit somebody who's opposite you in the right cheek requires a backhanded hit or a slap, if you will. That's exactly what it meant in that culture. You publicly insulted somebody. You came up there in the, in the uh, as one day, was it with the uh, musketeers? They, they would do it with their white gloves, right? They'd slap them right in the face. That's a public insult to call for a duel in, in that matter. But it's an insult. So what the Lord is saying here. Uh, illustrating this kind of agape love, this choice to love those unworthy, is as if you're publicly insulted, continue to take the insult. Turn the other cheek. Take it again and again and again. Don't just destroy people. What is that? That's no different than the world. Continue to take the public uh, insult and humiliation. He says, and it's on your sheet, we must be willing to suffer humiliation again and again without revenge, without retaliation. That's the point of turning the other cheek. Now, he's not talking about government here. Now, don't be confused. There there are some that embrace a pacifistic uh, theology insofar as government. Well, I can't go to war. I can't be in the military because Jesus said, turn the other cheek and all the. No, he's not talking about government. God has ordained government to be in a whole different sphere, to be a suppression to evil, to deal with evil makers. You see? And in our day, you and I are not to be retaliatory or revengeful. God has ordained the government through their police and the courts and the laws to take care of that and to be a suppression to that. And warfare, when evil rises on faraway places and nations are threatened and and these kind of things, God has the rising up. Uh, There is a just war and a just reason to stop Hitler's and Mussolini's and in different wars that have gone on in recent history to stop the horrendous evil you see. So don't confuse it. He's not talking about nationhood here and government. He's talking about Christians in our individual lives as believers, as disciples, there on the Sermon on the Plain. We are not to retaliate. Well, this love gives and gives. 
as we willingly suffer now not only the loss of personal uh, self by the insults, but it's also the suffering of the loss of property in 29b through 30. Somebody comes and takes our, our, uh, our Botany 500 overcoat. Now, see, it meant something in that day you, uh, because if you had nothing else to sleep in that night, you could bundle yourself up in the wool garment and sleep in that. And a lot of times, especially many, many poor, and there were a lot of poor, they would sleep in their overcoat. And even if, even if, if uh, somebody owed you money and they gave you the last thing they had was their overcoat, the Scriptures say you had to return the overcoat back to that person at night. They didn't have a downfill comforter and uh, water beds and whatever else to sleep in. They slept out in the countryside and they needed to have their coat. And if someone should take your coat, uh, he's saying this, this idea of a cloak and tunic. Be, if they need it that badly, don't hold on to your possession so tight. Let them have it. Let them have your property, as he is saying. Even if people mistreat us, we should, the idea, go above and beyond in the demonstration of this agape love of Christ in us. Give to them beyond their needs. You see, the idea is we are not to love things more than people. We get that all messed up in, in 21st century America, don't we? We love our things. We love our gizmo, our gadgets. Just, you know, keep, shut the door, keep everybody out, this kind of thing. Jesus is saying, listen, don't be of that, march by that drumbeat. Love people, not things. Everything you have, you're going to leave it all. Use it to be a blessing. And if somebody needs that so badly, let them have it freely. People see and go like, wow, I wouldn't have done that. That's like the Lord Jesus. Give, give, give. Be generous, generous with your time and your talents and possessions. That's like Jesus. And that's what God is doing in us and calling us to be. Did you know that we should be, number two, be willing to give to anyone who asks without calculating the return, let's see, if I lend this to you, uh, bring it back, and I want 10% more. You know, this idea of gaining by what we loan to those that have need. Quit doing that. Stop that. That's filled with self again. I'll give it to you because I'll get it back plus more. Self-centered to the core. Don't do that. Uh, don't do it because you think you're going to make a profit. We are called to be generous, and don't worry about being taken advantage of. You know that? There are some Christians that allow their hearts to become hardened. I, I, look, look, if no one ever told you, here's the, here's the word, right? You're going to be taken advantage of. Turn the lights on. Smell the roses. That's the world we live in. So you say, well, that happened to me once, and I'm shutting the store. No more. Fool me once. You know what they say. That's not the Lord here. Okay? And some Christians are so concerned that somebody's going to take advantage of them because it may have happened before, and surely it might have, that they never give anything to anyone today. But Jesus calls us to err on the side of generosity because that's the way He gives. That's the way God gives. And so it's mission impossible 
we can only do it through the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us. Well, the third observation, Jesus summarizes this command to love. It's, we call it the golden rule. He didn't, but we do. And 31 and following, do to others as you would have them to do to you. And then he goes on with three conditions. Well, look, he says, if you love those that love you, what in the world is that? That's nothing special. If you do good to those who do good to you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your... What's that? I mean, hardened sinners can do that. That's nothing. And he says, finally, and if you lend to those that you're going to get a return on, you know, that's just like the world. That's nothing. I mean, I'm calling to you a much higher standard as a Christian. The principle here, A, is it teaches us uh, to do everything we can to bless people around us that circulate around our lives, in the school, in the classroom, neighborhood, in the family, in the marriage, in the neighborhood, wherever we might be. That's what he's calling us to. We are to be a blessing to them. And the golden rule is not something out of date. It's for all of life. Now, this is different from the rule most people follow, isn't it? Most people say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. There's a whole big difference when you put it in the negative. That's filled with self-centeredness. I don't do to others what I don't want them to do to me. You see? The other one is infinitely huge. Do to others positively what you would want them to do to you, even though they don't do it to you. Catch it? Do it to them. Bless them. Do good to them. Pray for them. And in this way, you'll love them. And who can say, in this extraordinary love, this radical response, God's standard of love is so much higher than the world, maybe God will save them through your witness. Our treatment love of our enemies is so different. And the number fourth observation, Jesus tells that this is the way that God loves. Incidentally, he says, incidentally, when you love like this, guess whose family resemblance you're bearing? You're bearing the resemblance of your Father who is in heaven. For this is the way our compassionate, merciful Father loves. That's the last verse, and he closes it. The example of Jesus is the specific example. This is the way God loves. A, God shows his kindness to evil and ungrateful people every single day. God is merciful. You say, how is he? How is he? he gives them life and breath. He gives strength to rise. He gives sunshine and rain, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. He gives it to those who hate God, who declare that uh, he doesn't even exist. And he's not good if he is, or he's not great if he is, and all the rest. God is kind to evil and ungrateful people, hordes of them every single day. And the ultimate example, of course, number two, is Jesus. He is the ultimate example of this agape love, of God's love, of loving his enemies and praying for them. I say, look at the cross. You say, how much does God love his enemies? Look at the cross. God died for his enemies. He died for them. 
Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Did you know that before you, you were saved, you were an enemy of God in Romans? Do we have that, Jen? Romans 5, verse 10. Did we get that or no? Look at Romans 5.10. Paul writes, For if when we were God's enemies, Paul's including himself, and that's you and me if we're saved, if you know Christ, if, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying here that you and I were enemies. We were the enemies that Christ died for. It's the ultimate example of this choosing to love one's enemies. Look at the cross. It's the supreme example. Jesus loved his enemies by doing good. Read the Gospels. Everywhere he went, teaching, healing, loving, caring. Nothing but good. Nothing but good. Nothing but good. He spoke kindly to them. The only people he rebuked were the false teachers that were leading people in the parade to hell. He rebuked them, and yet that's the most loving thing he could have done to them. He prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do while on the cross. He gave his own life for his enemies. Wow. He loved them. Jesus endured all this from his enemies. And in doing so, he shows us in brilliant technicolor what it means for you and for me through his power to love enemies in our life and to do so without end for his glory. Wow. B, and final, when we imitate Jesus this way, we show our family resemblance. That's what he means when he says, you will be sons of the Most High. You're going to be like your Father in heaven. Resemblance. One thing about uh, my family, if you could see my three brothers, you would know we're all brothers. They're all Zabolski, all the Z-men. <clears throat> we all used to walk a certain way. I'm kind of kind of changed that a little bit. I'm hoping to get back to those trails walking the same. But uh, there's a certain walk. It's kind of like a wrestler walk. Right, Ron? Kind of, Jim, you guys know. You know, sort of that way. I'm sort of not been there lately. <clears throat> but there's a resemblance. And what Jesus is saying, when you and I love our enemies this way, there is a resemblance that is unmistakable. This is the way God loves the ungrateful, hostile enemies of his. The only way we can possibly do this, I remind you, this mission impossible, is through Christ in us. It's it. Lord, you have to do it. I'm afraid of what I'll do if it's the flesh. Please, Lord, help me to love them, to do good to them, to bless them, to pray for them, and to make that choice and not to do what I feel. And may my feelings be softened by the grace of God in my life. Oh, please. Well, lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Number one, 
What's the first thing that we can take away from this passage? God calls each of us to love our enemies. Be encouraged. You can't do it on your own, but He'll do it through you, through His power. It's by His power alone, the power of God working in you. That's Romans 1.4. That's what Paul says about God's power. I'm happy about that, that it's Christ in me and not just me. I couldn't do it. Impossible. Number two, a test, a good way to test yourself to see, am I loving my enemies? And we all have them. If I ask you to write down, write down the first name or write their initials, um, uh, write down, write it, am I loving them? Here's a test. Say, am I doing it? Self-examination, test. Um, uh, what, what good are you doing? What good things are you doing for them? Doing good. What about blessing them with your tongue? Are you blessing them? In, in written letters, emails, be careful of email, be careful what you write, in talking to them, face-to-face is the best. Are you blessing them? Are you returning a soft word for harsh words? Are you loving them this way? Are you, third, are you praying for them? Have you made prayers for them? Oh, I didn't even think about it. I don't want to pray for them because God may save them and I hate them so much I don't want to go to heaven with them. There are people who have told me that. I can't, they're my enemy. They did such horrible things. I want God to kill them. Corey Temboom felt that way when she was put into a prison camp in World War II. And she and her sister were there, and they, they were abused by the officer in the prison camp. And there came a day when uh, her sister died in the prison camp. And she survived, and years later... Here she is speaking, this little German-Jewish lady who loved the Lord Jesus, speaking, and she said, I looked down in front, and there sat that German soldier from the prison camp. And she said, I hated him for years and wanted him dead because of my sister. And God expunged that hate in my heart. Oh, you know what that is, right? Are you doing that? What a great way to measure. And if not, let's do it today. Let's begin today. Say, I haven't been doing this. I've been, I got an F in this. I'm going to, right now, I'm going to do some good things. Unnatural. It's extraordinary. Supernatural. I'm going to do some good things. I'm going to bless them with my tongue. I'm going to begin to pray for them and ask God to change my heart, their heart, and the circumstance. And I promise you, God will do that. Number three, prayer is the key. Pray for them. Pray for them and don't quit. And God will change you and change them. Number four, look at the cross. You say, oh, I can't do it anymore. Oh, my enemies are too many or too great. Look at the cross. Look at it and see what was suffered on your behalf. Christ, who didn't open his mouth, didn't cuss him out, didn't swear at him. But like a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. You can do it. Christ can do it and will do it through you and through me. Even though we say that's impossible. Number five and last, did you know that 
that if you are here today and you have never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior, did you know that the Bible speaks of you as an enemy? But you can change all that today by simply praying a sinner's prayer and believing with all your heart and receive Christ the Lord as your Savior from your sin. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying for my sin. And you can be saved forever. You can be moved from the category of an enemy to a son of the Most High or a daughter of the Most High to be a child of God. Boy, that's great. Well, that mission impossible. I used to always look for that coming on. Kind of made sure my schedule was clear. Wanted to see what impossible mission they were going to do this next week. And oh, to see that thing burn up in a few seconds. It would just melt. Wow. They'd always accomplish it. It was amazing. And they did it within that 60 minutes. That was amazing to me. Or two hours if it's the movie, right? This is really impossible. This is the hard, hardest of all commands. I say it's impossible. Apart from Christ in you and in me. Oh, let's go, let's go love them. They don't deserve it. Let's speak to them. Let's pray for them. Let's do good, shall we? And next time, one rises on the scene, and they will. Go, oh, he's the one. She's the one pastor was talking about. That's my assignment. That's your, you got homework? No one likes homework. That's your homework. Say, there it is. Bless them. Do good. Bake them a meal. Take them some brownies. Take their trash out. Lend to them. Be kind to them. Wow. Mission impossible. Only by the grace of God is it possible. Let's stand and be dismissed.